Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. This is where we share trends and knowledge and cool tools that just might help take some bricks off your back. If you're looking for insight into the built and natural environment, and well, beyond, this is the place. If you're in the federal space and want to drive innovation, we have some thoughts. Transportation, asset management, water infrastructure concerns keeping you up at night? We have guests who will talk about that too. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. My name is Danielle Barner, and I work in the Atkins U.S. federal business. Last month, a brutal winter storm brought freezing temperatures across the state of Texas, of all places, leaving millions without power, water, or heat. Now, many are asking how we could have better prepared for this kind of extreme weather event, which seems all too common these days. Joining me today to discuss what tools and information communities need to prepare for climate-related impacts is Atkins Project Director and Climate Science Expert, Stephen Bourne, and Atkins Principal Technical Professional, Mike DePew. Recently, Mike and Steve presented to the staff of the U.S. House of Representatives Science, Space, and Technology Committee on the topic of climate crisis. But today, we get to hear from them on how they're using technology and data to help communities address their resiliency needs. We'll talk about the impacts of climate change, the tools we should be using to address its impact, and how our industry can help the public sector embrace resiliency and protect its communities. But first, let's get to know our guest today. Mike, how about you get started and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Thank you. Uh, I'm a registered professional engineer, and I, I grew up doing water resources work, which means that I helped design stormwater systems, uh, sometimes potable water systems, and generally things that came from flooding or rainfall and, and derived from those in some way. Um, over the years, that's given me a lot of experience and a lot of feel for how how the rainfall that we see affects our, our environment. Um, I've also lately gotten into floods, floodplain mapping on a very large scale, mapping entire states or even the entire nation, uh, and finally been, been working with artificial intelligence and how that can help us predict uh, flooding and rainfall in the future. And Steve, how about you? What, what drew you to this topic? Hey, Danielle. Um, yeah, the uh, the topic of resilience and climate change, I was always sort of on a collision course with it. Um, I build decision support systems. Um, and these are, these are, you know, software, software-based tools that are aimed at helping uh, uh, stakeholders and communities reach a shared vision plan, typically, for how they're going to operate their, their town um, or their community in the future. Um, I started out uh, doing that kind of work. I, I kind of took a, a big step first and, and uh, worked on the Nile River under the UN, FAO. Um, and we helped them, this was when I was in grad school at Georgia Tech, we helped them build a decision support tool to manage the water resources of the whole Nile Basin. Um, since then, I've, you know, I've, I've come to Atkins, I've been here about 15 years, and I've built a large variety of decision support systems 
focused on questions like, you know, where do you put an ice route to explore for oil on the north slope of Alaska and do it environmentally friendly? Or, um, you know, if you're in, in Lake Tahoe, uh, how do you design your house so that it keeps sediment from getting down to the lake and, and um, impairing the water quality? Um, lots of different questions. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's always sort of the same process that I've done. And I think it's sort of brought me to resilience because in resilience, um, it is a, you know, every community in, in the country really is trying to answer that kind of question and they need something like a decision support system to answer it. Yeah, it seems like no matter where you live, this is something that we're addressing these days. Um, you know, we hear resilience, you mentioned the word a couple times. It's a big buzzword in our industry right now. An industry being, you know, architects and engineers and construction resilience and resiliency is kind of an all-encompassing term that could be defined a lot of different ways. So, you know, Mike, for the purposes of this discussion, how do you define resilience? Uh, I'm defining resilience as just the ability to continue doing our normal daily activities uh, with a with a minimal level of uh, distraction or difficulty uh, or danger really from from that. So I want us to be able to continue going about, you know, going to the grocery store, dropping our kids off at school, um, going to a baseball game or something like that. Just having having the ability to do that without having also to think about are, are almost our basic survival in the process. So if I'm driving my kid to school, I shouldn't have to worry about crossing over a pipe that might blow out and, and cause our whole car to fall into the, into the water. That to me is the most fundamental level of resilience. And Steve, what about you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. Um, you know, I think of it in terms of the two R's. Um, uh, resilience is recovery and resilience is robustness. So, you know, um, if you're a, a city and you're being hit by a hurricane or a pandemic or, you know, anything that we're, we're seeing now in this era of climate change, um, you don't want to take too much of a hit in the beginning. Um, and that's, that's your measure of robustness. Um, and you want to recover very quickly. Um, you know, when we put together the current tool that we have for resilience modeling called City Simulator, we actually, you know, back of the envelope, we drew out a chart and we said, you know, how are we going to measure resilience? Um, and we drew like a line, a, a timeline and, and envisioned what would happen to a city if a disaster hit it. And we figured every city is going to take a hit. You know, no city is 100% robust and, and just will keep on going with no hit. But the good ones, the resilient ones, take less of a hit. And then they take much less time to recover. Um, and I think that those, you know, those two R's, if you remember those, I think you have a good definition of resilience. Yeah. And I think another thing that Steve was getting to there is that sometimes it, it can be challenging to actually define resilience, but but we also know it when we don't see resilience. So again, the Texas storms recently were an excellent example of that. That was not a resilient response to a climate event or a weather event in that case. Um, and, and I think too, as as engineers, that's a lot of what we're looking for as well. What's What's going to break when things start getting bad? That's uh, that's how we look at uh, resilience sometimes. Oh, that all makes so much sense. You know, I think we, um, each of us in the communities we live, were impacted by these types of events. And, um, you know, but as an industry, we're looking to help solve the needs of our clients. And we serve a, a wide variety of clients, whether they're at the state, local, municipal level, 
or or federal clients. You know, really, what do you what do you guys see as the primary needs um, from our clients? What are the things that they're asking us to help solve for them in, in the area of climate change and climate crisis? Sure. So there, there's a couple of things that stick out. Um, you know, virtually every community, state, uh, federal government level uh, is is taxed at the at the budget level, meaning that they they don't have all the budget that they want to do the projects that they feel they they need to do or want to do. Um, so one of our most critical jobs is really to help them find the things that are most critical to staying resilient or being better prepared for disasters that uh, that come along. Um, I think too a lot of a lot of our clients and communities are also just trying to get their hands on what climate change really means. And I think one of the co- most common misperceptions that's out there is that climate change means we're always moving in one direction or another. Um, and what we have really experienced is that climate change means that the bands of uncertainty uh, are getting wider and that it can be the past does not look or the future does not look like the past as much. Uh, and so it's more difficult for us to make a prediction of what flow might be coming down that pipe or, or uh, you know, the particular issue that we may face. So I think that's another thing that they're really asking us to get help them get a handle on is exactly how is the climate changing and exactly what are the new boundaries of normal, if you will. Yeah. And if, if, if I could add to that, um, I think a lot of the communities that I talk to, uh, whether they be, you know, a town or a city or, or you know, military installation, um, um, a port, for example, um, what they want to know is how is climate change going to impact us? And uh, depending on um, what it is they, they do on a daily basis, that can be a, a global question. You know, so I mentioned a port, for example, um, we're doing a study of resiliency of the port of Prince Rupert in Canada right now. Um, and, you know, we've had to expand our study to a simulation of the global supply chain that flows through the port, uh, shipping lanes, uh, rail, all of it, um, so that we know, you know, a package that leaves uh, Hong Kong and goes across the Pacific through the port and over uh, the Canadian prairies down to Chicago, what is it going to hit along the way? And what we found is some, you know, very interesting results where, you know, in the north northwestern Pacific, it's actually projected to have less tropical storm activity than it does right now due to climate change. Um, you know, that's actually a positive for the port. Um, you know, a lot of uh, the the impression and perception out there is that climate change equals doom and gloom, and in fact, it's it's very location specific, and it can have both pro- pros and cons. And a lot of our our clients they want to know that answer, like how's it actually going to hit us. And, um, you know, uh, is it all going to be doom and gloom or, you know, uh, are there any uh, silver linings that we're looking at in the future? And I think what Steve said there uh, is very important. In fact, we could actually use the old real estate adage of location, location, location when it comes to climate change. Again, I'm a water resources engineer. I look up to the sky for the water that drives all of the things that I design. Uh, and rainfall is extremely spatially variable. I mean, it could pour down rain on this block and be almost dry on the next block. Um, and we're seeing more and more of that with climate change, those very localized, very intense rain rainfalls um, that may affect you, but not your neighbor slightly over on the other side of town. So I, I think what Steve said there is extremely important. 
You know, it's funny, Mike, I just got back from a walk outside and I walked out there and I checked the weather on my app and it looked really cloudy, might, like it might rain. And I was with my husband. I looked down and I was like, see, there's no rain in the forecast. That's what the data says. And he said, the only way to really know is to look up. And uh, about five minutes later, it started pouring down rain on me. So, <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, I, I like the location, location, location. You know, we to do this analysis, we need data, though. So what kind of data sets do you guys need? And where does, where does this data come from? Sure, sure. So we, we depend very heavily on federal government data from the National Weather Service, from the USGS, uh, from, um, <laughs> pardon me, from uh, the Corps of Engineers, from FEMA. All of these agencies have a lot of good data that help us figure out uh, where, where these effects are going to occur. Um, and again, many of them are in the process of updating this information uh, yearly or, or on a very regular basis. One of the most recent publications was NOAA Atlas uh, 14 um, that was published for the state of Texas and uh, incorporated all of the effects of Hurricane Harvey in that. And that was a major, major step forward for us in the, the industry because that, um, that really took into account Harvey, which was a, a truly historic storm and um, gave us just better statistics to start from. Yeah, Steve, anything to add there? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, data is a huge part of um, our process. Uh, you know, the tool I mentioned earlier, City Simulator, um, that is exactly what the name suggests. It is a digital twin of a city um, where we try to build as much detail into it as possible. All the buildings, all the roads, uh, even all the people. Uh, we, we have a, it's called agent-based modeling. So there's an avatar for every person who, who lives in that, um, in the city. And, you know, we have a population of them that sort of matches statistically with the population that's really there. And we will evolve that city into the future, hitting it with climate change related disasters and such and measure how resilient it is. Well, to get to that place where we have the digital twin, um, we pull data from NOAA, from USGS, from the, the um, uh, US Census, um, from you know, a, a large variety of federal entities, as well as uh, local scale, state scale, um, and regional scale entities. Um, we need all of that information to, to create this digital twin so that, um, you know, when we're simulating, we're actually capturing, capturing the complexity that a real city has. And we're getting the real answers about how things like big storms in the future might affect the population. So we wouldn't be able to do that at all without, um, you know, those data sources, which typically are produced by uh, government entities and provided um, um, openly for, for use um, by uh, folks like us. So with this data, you know, and the analysis that we can do and all these things we've done to study it, what do you guys really see as our, our role as an industry in um, helping communities with resilience and in, in climate crisis and things of that nature? Sure, sure. So we we are the are the practitioners as an industry. We're we're the ones that really take um, 
I, I wouldn't say nebulous information like rainfall uh, or, or ground elevations, but we take information that maybe isn't uh, very intuitive like that and bring it down and turn it into a real product. So we're either building something or analyzing something using that information. And we're taking, often we're taking these very long-term trends and trying to project out into the future. And so what our industry is trying to do is to build things that will do the job that they're designed to do, um, but also last a long time. Uh, Again, you asked earlier about our clients and what they're asking for. They're asking for things that last a long time. Um, You know, 50, 60, 100 years is not an unreasonable request for a piece of infrastructure like a pipe uh, that's put into the to the ground. And so we need to to create that in such a way that that it makes it possible. Um, and I think that's a very, very critical point that we as the industry do is we we take that that raw information and turn it into a design um, that gives that gives the town or the city or whatever the ability to perform some specific action like pumping their their sewage or getting drinking water and we make sure that that infrastructure lasts across mo- many generations. Yeah, and um, um, I'd echo that, and I'd add that, um, you know, when I was in grad school, uh, I heard a a result of a study. It said that it takes 30 years for an idea to get from academia to, um, you know, working in place in in industry. Um, 30 years seems like an awful long time to me. I mean, the guy who came up with the idea probably has retired by the time the idea gets implemented. So I think we our role uh, in, in firms like Atkins is to, maybe shorten that gap, you know, maybe work with academia, work with the research uh, world, bring to them our knowledge of what our clients or communities actually need and uh, sort of, you know, help to steer where the thinking goes so that we get answers much more quickly and can implement them um, on the ground and, and really help people with them much more quickly. So Steve, what happens if we don't do anything? What's the result? Um, well, we talked about resiliency and we talked about uh, unresilient responses. Um, um, you know, that's what happens uh, is that, you know, we're not ready. We haven't thought about it. You know, our back of the envelope um, chart that we did uh, when designing our tools, um, it showed a resilient city and an unresilient city. And the robustness part was was important. You know, the hit that the city takes was important. Um, but, you know, what really struck us was how long it can take for a city to recover if it isn't resilient. Um, so think about a place like Puerto Rico. Um, in economic downturn um, in, you know, 2015, 2016, then hit by two massive hurricanes, um, you know, it'll be years and years before Puerto Rico returns back to its vibrant self, um, you know, back in 2010 uh, uh, range. And, um You know, that sort of uh, result is uh, what we're trying to avoid when we're trying to measure resiliency. We think, you know, a city that's prepared for uh, events like these, um, it recovers quickly and it keeps going and and continues to be prosperous. Yeah, it really feels like a a call to action is just so important here. Mike, what are some recommendations you have um, for change, you know, to, to, to help help communities, recommendations for the government, recommendations for the industry? Sure, sure. So I, I would start with with the most basic, which is don't underestimate 
um, the power of flooding and rainfall. Um, having seen a 500-year rainfall, experienced it in person, it is truly uh, a, a, an amazing event. It is. It, I, I would tell. I've told people that it feels like the atmosphere is broken, or that it's angry at you in some way. Um, and so, I would. I would say, don't underestimate the challenges that you may face. Uh, trying to make your your community resilient, and at the same time, making your community resilient can also have some some really good impacts. It gives you the the chance to do some things maybe that that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. A great uh, you know a very simple example of this is turning soccer fields into uh, detention facilities to detain water. Um, that's a that's you get some great parkland benefits out of uh, out of doing things like this, but. But in general, I would say, too, that, um, you know, to the federal government, please continue to produce that data that we need. Please continue to measure the rainfall, to to measure the topographic data out there, to look at the quality of levees um, that are that are available. We need that information. Communities need that information. So so please continue to do that. Um, the other thing that that I think would be good is is really to just get a handle on how far out into the future we want to to plan for. Um, again, as we get further and further out, it does become more difficult and it can become more expensive. So if you as a community have a good idea that you want to plan 25 years out or 50 years out or 100 years out, that helps us really understand what we can do for you um, and the kind of options that, that we can provide. Steve, any any other recommendations from your end? Things you'd like to see happen? Um, I, you know, I think that we as a, a community um, probably need to talk more about this stuff. You know, um, there's a uh, Atkins spends a lot of time out there at conferences, um, ASFPM conference, AWRA, NOAA conferences, and so on. Um, come and reach out to us. Um, you know, we, we like to engage in discussions like this and talk about um, these types of subjects, um, um, particularly in, in, in terms of how they impact uh, on the ground uh, communities and what we can do to move the needle to, to improve things. So, yeah, just reach out. And what about legislation? Is there anything... Um, you know, working on the government side or things that we should be, you know, trying to push forward? Uh, well, there, there are two particular pieces of legislation that are working their way through Congress right now. Uh, one is called the Floods Act and the other is called the uh, Precip Act. Uh, and not surprisingly, they, they deal with those exact subjects there. Um, so again, that is again. That's something that's very definitely appreciated uh, from from our industry is is when Congress moves things like that forward because it helps us ensure that we have the data we need to do our job in the in the future. And it also again helps us set some guidelines for um, how we do our job, what what standards we need to uh, enforce or look at when we're creating things. So that, those are definitely two pieces of legislation that I know are out there that that would be tremendously helpful to us in our jobs. For sure. Any parting thoughts, Mike, any, anything from your end? Uh, again, I, I think, I think it's so interesting sometimes um, that uh, we have this environment that we live in and then by environment, of course, I mean the, the larger <laughs> planet earth that we live on um, that, 
we as humans think we understand, um, and it, it seems to surprise us every time. Uh, and I don't, uh, and I, I say that too, meaning us as engineers. Um, we need to be kind of humble in, in how we address the things that Mother Nature can, can throw at us. And uh, I think, again, getting, getting good data helps us to be more understanding of, of what's coming our way. Uh, but having that humility too and, uh, and understanding and accepting that we can't design away all risk is another important one. Absolutely. Steve, any uh, final words? Um, just along the lines of uh, decision support, um, I think it's important to get numbers in front of you. Um, there's a saying, what is measured is managed. Um, I really believe that, you know, if you put that number in front of you, whether it's your bank account balance or, uh, you know, um, how many trips are being disrupted by tidal flooding in your city or whatever number it is, um, if, if you watch it every day, you'll start to improve it. So I think that, that that's kind of the point of our, our process with the decision support systems. And, um, you know, in general, I think it just works. It moves the needle. Couldn't agree more. You guys have been so insightful. I know I've learned a lot today, and I'm sure that all of our listeners have. Um, if they would like to learn, any of you would like to learn more about this topic, both Mike and Steve have articles that have been published on the Beyond Engineering website. That's on the SNC Lavalin website. Um, there's also a website for City Simulator. Steve, where can they find City Simulator? Oh, it's real simple. Uh, AtkinsGlobal.com slash City Simulator. There you go. Um, come find any of us on LinkedIn. We'd love to keep this conversation going and you can check the show notes of the podcast for details on, you know, the things that we just mentioned, um, you know, names, where to find us, all that good stuff. Mike, Steve, thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for joining, uh, the podcast today. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. Great. Thank you. Yep. Thanks very much. Awesome. We'll catch you next time. Have a good one.